Hello, everyone. Doug Flutie here, and this is the Flutie Flakes cast. And uh, we are in a position now where we are watching quarterbacks bounce around all over the league. No one is out of the discussion of a possible trade. Salary caps come into play, movement of quarterbacks that have played poorly. You know, I come from a generation of quarterbacks that get drafted, sit the bench for a few years behind a veteran starter, develop, and when they're ready, they step in and take over and they become a franchise quarterback. Those days are gone. The young kids today are expected to step right in, play right away, and be successful. And because of the style of offenses, because of the ability to run quarterback runs and RPOs and zone read and all that stuff, the young kids that maybe they're not quite caught up uh, X and O's wise can still compete, win, play at a high level, but then don't progress. And that's, I think, what we're seeing. If you go back to the 09 draft between 2009, 2016 now, all the top quarterbacks drafted are no longer with their team that drafted them. They've all moved on. And the last domino in this was Carson Wentz moving on to Indianapolis and Philadelphia. Last year, Carson Wentz had a 72.8 passer rating, second only or lowest to Sam Darnold, who was at 72.7. So he's gone from a guy that was in the MVP discussion, had a phenomenal year just a few years ago, to low man on the totem pole, Drafted a quarterback, uh, Jalen Hurts, to eventually replace him and now sent packing with his bags. And now a guy that is a top draft choice gets traded for a second and third round pick, potentially a first round pick, but probably could be a second, could be a first. Um, And he moves on. How did the situation get so bad? I, I don't you know, I don't know how it goes that direction. Uh, For me, I was in some situations where other quarterbacks were competitive. Drew Brees was with me in San Diego, struggled. Phillip Rivers gets drafted. Drew picks up his game and makes no bones about it. He's the guy. He, He earned it, but then he got an injury right at the end of the season. He moves on. He has a Hall of Fame career, and it continues on. You talk about Jimmy Garoppolo getting drafted in New England while Tom Brady's in his prime. Tom picks up his game, just looks like, hey, kid, take a seat and learn. And basically, eventually, Garoppolo is the guy that moves on. And then even last year, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love, they draft him. He's not happy about it, but he goes out and has a stellar season. So the bottom line is you pick up the pace, you look at it as competition, and you continue to progress. And what happened in the Carson Wentz situation, I, I believe, is he's looking over his shoulder. He's disappointed that they drafted Jalen Hurst. He struggles all year long. He goes into a funk where he doesn't talk to his head coach for eight weeks. I mean, think I I can't imagine a workplace where your most important position on your team, whether you're a CEO, wherever you are, doesn't talk with the other guy that's running the show. It becomes a dysfunctional situation. He struggled. I mean, I watched him play. He struggled in that he held on to the ball, was indecisive, turned the ball over left and right, and was making mistakes all over the place. Now, I've seen him play great. I've seen him with a big arm, athleticism, uh, the ability to continue to make plays, you know, pressure situations, you name it. And then all of a sudden, your, your confidence gets shaken, and it's, it becomes a completely different animal. So he moves on. He gets traded. Indianapolis is going to have a rotating door, you know, again, at their quarterback position. You got to jump in. Phillip Rivers decides to call it quits after, you know, he jumped in for one season. 
looked great, had a good offensive line. They got a decent run game. They got a decent setup there where I think Carson Wentz can actually now go and be successful. I don't understand the necessity to have to be traded and move on to relieve that pressure, to have the ability to take the blinders off, wake back up, get re- rejuvenated. You know, I talk about Tom Brady's move to Tampa, rejuvenating his enthusiasm, but that doesn't mean he played poorly a year ago or two years ago in New England. So he goes there now and the opportunity to get reunited with Frank Wright, which I think is exciting for him. I think that uh, it's a situation where really Indy was the only team interested from what are the peers and what has been said uh, that, but that's all you need. You need that one guy to believe you. And I think for Carson Wentz, it's Frank Wright. He's been with him. He's had his arm around him in a good situation. I'm sure they went through struggles together, but the bottom line was he had his most successful season under Frank Wright. So now he's in Indy. So I think if you're looking at it this year, I think Carson Wentz will be ahead of the program. I think he's with a guy that he's familiar with. I think he's with a guy that's going to put him in a situation to be successful. I hope for his sake, and I believe very strongly that he can get it going and turn this whole thing around for himself. It's amazing to me to see this happen throughout the NFL now that uh, these young quarterbacks that are so highly touted, top draft choices aren't developed. And I think there is a, a niche there for those guys like a Frank Reich, who I believe can develop quarterbacks. I don't think it's going on as readily because of the styles of offense. You can get to a certain point right away. You can take the athletic kid and just make him competitive right away by running the zone read, by running the RPO game, the wide receiver screens, getting it out of his hands, doing things. But that's going to be as good as it gets. You don't win championships in the NFL, unless, and I've had this conversation the last few weeks with Kurt Warner, uh, Jim Kelly, uh, you name it, Brett Favre, you, you can do the other stuff, but you have to be able to win from the pocket. And guys, the young quarterbacks that are coming up, all you athletic guys, I know that that's such a bonus, but you still, there are going to be teams that are going to make you stand in there and throw the football. When you get man-to-man coverage, if you can stand in there and hit the shots up the field, you're going to be way ahead of the game. If you can read coverage and deliver the ball, you're going to be way ahead of the game. And that's where you win championships. And Tom Brady proved that last year. My guest today is going to be Phil Sims. Really excited to have Phil. Phil, very knowledgeable, CBS Sports, everything else he's been through with the NFL, two Super Bowl championships. Going to have a fun little conversation with Phil. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. Hey, everybody, this is Fran Frischella, host of the podcast World of Basketball. Each week, we chat with the players, coaches, and executives who have helped grow the game of basketball around the world, like Toronto Raptors championship-winning coach Nick Nurse. I, I always say this. I, I, I don't know why I picked this number, Fran, but I always say the X and O stuff's about 15% of the job. It really yeah. is. Episodes are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, welcome to the Flutie Flakes cast. My guest today, Phil Sims. Uh, Phil and I are reminiscing a little about how old we are and the, the things we can't do anymore, but uh, two-time Super Bowl champion, knows everything there is about football, been through it all, been with Parcells, been through the ranks, and CBS Sports. And you can hear him on Mad Dog Sports Radio during the season with Christopher Mad Dog Russo. We were talking, we were actually at a mutual friend's wedding. Yep. I brought up a story about breaking my collarbone and that Reggie White 
had run me down from behind and kind of trapped my arms and lifted me and drove me to the ground. Well, I remember when he did it to you down at Giant Stadium. Yeah, you know the play very well. How do you know it? You were playing for the New Jersey Generals. And because uh, I'd watch those games, I think, y'all, did y'all play on Saturdays in or Sundays? A lot of times Saturdays and, and ABC did the games. Yes, Reggie White almost said the exact same place on the field that he got you, he got me. And it was one of those rare, rare days against the Eagles defense that I was actually playing very well and we're leading. And boy, he got me, pinned my arms, took me to the ground and did the old flying LP and arms up and boom, that was it. And uh, we ended up losing the game. I, I came out of the game, not that there's a reason why we lost, but uh, yeah, Reggie, Reggie had it down. Was that, was that a go-to move? Yep, that was his go-to move, saw it many times, did it to me many times. And, you know, the problem was, Doug, when he was down in Philadelphia, he had a teammate there for a while, and his name was Jerome Brown, who I was like, hey, Jerome Brown might be better than Reggie White. This is like, well, it, it was not a good time to be a quarterback playing the Eagles with that defense, that's for sure. But, yep, we got, so we got that in common. Reggie got his both. Absolutely. And and now they go by the quarterback and they can't take him to the ground. They touch him in the head. They they tap him. You know, I think we got to go to the flags on the quarterback. And as you go by, you just grab it and lift the flag and the quarterback is down. Can you relate to, to, to being able to stand in the pocket and not worry about getting below the waist or driven to the ground? I did watch some of my old games and it was amazing. Really, I was amazed that they would come in and dive at my knees, hit them. They would come in, take you to the ground, and forearm you right across the face, get up, you know, push your face back down again. And, you know, it was unbelievable. And I honestly, I don't remember, but when I was watching, I probably watched about 10 games this offseason. I think I saw one flag for roughing the passer. And that was because it was a really blatant, full speed run from behind, just went right at my knees. And, uh, oh, I can't think who the guy was. Oh, it might have been Dexter Manley. Uh, from the Washington Redskins. I'm not sure. I don't want to throw Dexter under the bus here, but it's it was different. And, you know, I used to kind of moan and groan a little, but look, it's got to be that way, especially the way we've done football. It's played now. The rules, the quarterback, the modern day game, what fits you, you would be great. Man, dipping and diving and running and sprinting. And, you know, oh, man. I go to the phrase, I'm five, nine and a half. I stand in the pocket and I go to a little bit of a bent knee position to throw. They got to be target shooting. I, I say this all the time. They're coming around the edge. You know how many personal fouls I would pick up? Guys that hit me either low or in the head, they're target shooting. They got about a foot to aim at. They're six, seven coming around the edge. They're going to catch me in the head. And then, of course, standing in without the fear of, of really getting driven to the ground, whatever. It's, it's just different. And then the athleticism part of the game at the quarterback position. And I want to get to that because that's, uh, you know, Carson Wentz is on the move. He's going to Indianapolis. I looked up a stat that's from 2009 to 2016, top drafted quarterbacks are no longer with the teams they were drafted by. They've all moved now. He was the last domino to fall. Do you think that because of the styles of offense, now I, I'm sure salary cap has a lot to do with movement and everything else, but because of styles of offense, that guys can compete right away they jump in right away. There's this demand for the young guy to play now, as opposed to in our day, you, you sat for a while, the development of quarterbacks that, that they're, they're at a certain point and they don't seem to get better. 
it just stays on that plane because now you're running RPO game and wide receiver screens and quarterback runs. And what's your view on that? Well, yeah, I think there's many reasons. I think we live in a world that's extremely impatient. That's the understatement of all time. And we need it now. And we, well, we were one in 15 last year. If we get a quarterback, we'll win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's really, of course, I'm exaggerating, but trying to make a point. And so after a couple of years, these teams, because of money, performance, all the things, jobs on the line by everybody, general managers, coaches, um, they're, they're just not afraid to pull the trigger anymore and move on to the next quarterback. And, of course, uh, it's going to be talked to death this offseason. Where I look, this could end up being maybe it won't be, but it has the possibility of being the most movement we've seen with quality big time quarterbacks or whatever you want to call them playoff guys. We might see more this year than ever before. And money has something to do with it. Quarterbacks want to play for other teams. Uh, they don't like the you know. It, it, there's just a lot going on. So there there's many reasons, but I think the biggest is money and just the impatience. And, and, and we don't take into account at all. You could have a good quarterback playing for a really bad team and it's, you know, you know, your opportunities and the turnovers and getting hit and all that are more likely they don't take into account either. They just say the quarterback's got to look the team up. And once the fan base and the media turns against you, Doug, you're almost done. You know, it's almost hard to overcome now in this, in today's game because they yell so loud and gripe so much and all we see on tv from almost morning to night now is nfl football people talking about it you know doug hey what what was his quarterback rating last game it wasn't very good his qbr hey who gives a crap tell me something that's real here well whatever so the numbers now have gotten into it um you know all those things there's, there's a lot of reasons but it's um it's a good time to be a quarterback but it's also better get it done time for quarterbacks too yeah i say about about quarterback position about football in general it's the one game where everything has to be in place to be successful in basketball you can get your 30 points and be on a losing team in baseball you can hit 300 or 440 home runs and be on a losing team you can't in football everything has to be in place things have to go in the right direction now the quarterback can make a world of difference and tom brady showed that this year but tampa had a defense tampa had guys at receiver they were able to run the ball they they had the whole package he just made them believe they don't they have a great offensive line not good one of the tops in the NFL. I listen. I watch all the games. I watched last year, and I'm going, man. Tampa has got a lot of talent, and Jameis makes a lot of plays. Great throws. Mobile, much more mobile than people ever really realize. I think. But you know, when he lost it and lost control of the ball, it had one one common theme, and it's real. It was always an overthrow. And when you're overthrowing down the middle or all these things down the field or whatever, uh, it's usually bad. And that was that was his. He was extremely aggressive in decision-making. That's how Bruce Arians taught. But, um, you know, Tom Brady, smart guy, Doug, he walked in too, truly, the perfect team for him. Receivers, great. How about the fact they draft a right tackle in Tristan Wirfs, who – was not good. He was great. He was the best rookie offensive lineman in the NFL by far. Oh, let's go get Rob Gronkowski. Oh, Antonio Brown. Tom, what else do you need? Oh, let's get you Leonard Fournette so we can be tough running the football. I mean, it really, 
it was great. And Tom Brady took advantage of all those up. You coming? You you're gonna make a comeback and just turn around, hand off, and go play action? Yeah. Well, well, you know what? He was running Bruce Arians' offense early. It was a lot of really deep throws. But as they morphed as the season went along, it became, you know what? Let's keep the tight end in, and let's keep the running back in, and let's make sure Tom Brady doesn't get hit. Let him get an extra look, and then let him fire the ball because. I don't know what you think. I think physically he threw the football as well this year as I've ever seen him throw it. I agree. I agree. I, I've seen a couple of seasons, and, and Tom hides injuries well. I, the year I played with him, he had an elbow issue going on. He had one or two little nicks here, and, and nobody's healthy through 16 weeks. But he played every week. He threw the ball great. It looked to me like he stayed healthy. I, I think he had a little knee issue going on. but um, Yeah, he did. And that goes back to the smarts of the quarterback position and staying healthy. You know, when you know what you're doing with the football, the young kids want to run from trouble. They want to leave the pocket, run from trouble. And the smarter guy knows he can always beat blitz. He can always beat a free rusher with his arm. And, and that's, you know, that's where this game is won, I believe, you know, at a championship level. The other guys are going to make highlight real plays. But at a championship level, if you're, if you're second and 10 instead of second and 17, you're in business. Well, you know, I'll say this. You know, I keep hearing, well, you know, uh, you got to be able to run, run, run. No, you, you just got to be able to kind of feel the pocket and then go to the open gap. And when you get through the open gap, most of the time, be looking for the receivers because now they're going to change and reroute. And that's how they get open, which we see constantly. And if they make you run, you run. You don't have to run a four or five or anything like that. And, and really, sometimes, and you know, I'm not going to get into all that, but we, when you really have the ability to run, why stay in there when the pocket gets a little tight? So oh, I'm, I'm getting out because that's what you've done your whole life, and you carry that in the NFL, and slowly you have to adapt and learn to maneuver the pocket a little to give yourself for those big plays down the field that are going to be there if you just know how to wait a little bit. Instead of going, oh, I got the ability to run. Let me scramble and they get five yards. And we all just go, wow, man, what a good job. Got turn, got five yards in a run. You know, that's what he does. That's one of his great specialties. And it's the same routine every time by every announcer in football. They do it. And, um, and but we don't ever look at it and go, wow, if you just take, take him, it took one step to the left, the post route, the corner route, the deep end cut is wide open, but we're not going to give it cha- a chance to get open because we're going to move too quick. So that comes with time. People go, oh, Tom Brady, this Tom Brady works the pocket great. Why, Doug? He has no choice. He has no choice. He's not going to outrun anybody. He's not really going to escape. Every once in a while, he floats out of the pocket. But his whole life, he has worked the pocket. He's great at it. Gets the extra time. No, it's a long answer, but I'll give you one great example. How about the touchdown in the back of the end zone to Rob Gronkowski when he was running to the corner, stopped and broke across the back. Think how long that took. Brady kind of felt the pressure, moved just a little, didn't panic, waited, and I think made one of the best throws of the whole year by him. Wow, that was really special, being patient in the pocket and showing his arm strength and everything else, and he got it done. Yeah, absolutely. I I can visualize and picture the play, and I agree with you 100%. And it wasn't, for me, when I did – I would let the outside rushers come up, step up inside and then move. I could read one to two on one side of the field, but if I had to come backside, I always sort of moved through the pocket 
to the backside or to or towards the check down. And for me, especially with the height issue, when I did that, the whole view of the field opens up and it becomes like seven on seven. If you can step up through, you know, it just the, if you give a quarterback clear vision of everything, he's going to pick you apart. When rushers go high, the running lane for the quarterback, you feel it. You know it right away when they're going wide on you. And once you've been in the league, you feel it right away. Oh, they're upfield. And, you know, now we got two big guys inside, whatever. There's going to be a lane to step through, like you just said. And, you know, there some young quarterbacks really have it right away. And other ones I look at and just go, wow, you've got to learn to do this. Or like we talked about, high draft picks are going to be pushed to the side and moved because, of, you know, it's just an ability a sense of playing or understanding the game, and you must do it. Another part of that that I always talked about was the more proficient I got in an offense as far as getting through reads and progressions. And a lot of part, a lot of part of getting through your read is eliminating receivers. You know, a guy got underneath this, oh, it's a cold corner. You know, get off that guy now, get number two, number three. But the better I got at that, the fewer big plays I made all of a sudden it's turned into no, no, no check down four yard gain where if I went one to two and moved towards number three and all of a sudden things opened up now there's all oh, the deep crossers coming open or the, you know, whatever it might be down the field. I, I see that sometimes with athletic guys who are being instinctive early in their career, holding on to the ball and finding big plays. And if they get better in the offense, those big plays turn into check down little, you know, five-yard gains. Um, the the Sean Watson situation, it's, it's a guy that I think is a phenomenal quarterback with all the athleticism as well. I think he does a lot of things well from the pocket and throwing the ball down the field and, all, and it just hasn't come together. Could you ever imagine yourself being in a position to just walk into the front office and say, I want to be traded? Well, <laughs> I'm not saying I didn't do that. <laughs> I don't know if I did it to the front office. I might have said it to the coach watch, you know, why don't you just trade me? <laughs> Unless, well, whatever. So, but thank God it didn't work out. But um, no, to do it the way they do now, it, it really is just so different. The power of the quarterback and the power comes from what? It comes from money, guaranteed money. All these things gives them power. I mean, here we got Deshaun Watson. You see Russell Wilson saying some things that makes him, well, does it make you believe? It makes you, well, you do believe that he's not happy with the way things are going in Seattle. And you know what? I think a lot of quarterbacks are looking at the good quarterbacks are going, wow, look at Aaron Rodgers. Look at Patrick Mahomes. Deshaun Watson gets to play free. And it's, it's so many guys in the league get to play that way. And Russell Wilson's probably a little frustrated with their, you know, maybe I don't, I'm not getting on it, old style offense. But Deshaun Watson, yeah, to do what he's on. We'll see what happens. I'm very interested to see. Will Houston buckle and say, okay, we'll trade you? Or they just play hardball and go, look, it's not going to be a great year anyway with our football team. We'll just play with whoever we got. And we'll see what Deshaun wants to do. And, you know, they'll set a standard for their football team that we're going to run it our way. And, yeah, we want to listen to you. But we're not going to let everybody make demands. Oh, trade me. I want out. That's kind of those kind of things. Very fascinated by the whole situation. Which teams, if they do decide to trade him, which teams are going to go after him? Which, of course, we know there's going to be quite a few. I can't even really come up with what it's worth. The, you know, the first thing that comes out of everybody's mouth, three or four first rounders plus a player or two. 
And I go, wow, that's that's some big stuff. That's that's a lot of players. But I, I think there are a few teams out there that probably can find a way to swing it if the Texans ever decide to trade him. Well, that would be a route to put things in position for the Texans. I, you know, but still, if you don't have the trigger guy, my first thought, and maybe I'm just stubborn and old school, is you're not going anywhere. Stay here, kid. Uh, if you want to walk out there in training camp or not show up, that's on you. But you know, we're playing football. We've made a commitment to you. Well, I'm old school too, a little bit in that way. But you know, too, I I look at the Texans football team, and you know, I I, I just say to you, okay, where are we going? We got the draft picks that we don't have the draft picks. And the team is, hey, they played a lot of close games. Yeah, a lot of times they lost some really tough games too, as I watched them. I mean, they had the Colts on the ropes two times and let them off. And the Colts, we all say, one of the better teams in the NFL. But um, they need a lot down there. They do. And especially on the defensive side is the number one thing. Everybody says, well, they need the offensive line. Deshaun got sacked too much. Well, you know what? When you're a mobile, going to move and never give up on the play kind of quarterback, you're going to get sacked a lot. And so the numbers are misleading that way as far as that. But they've tried to put a good offensive line in front of him. They invested in it. They drafted for it. And uh, that wouldn't, you know, almost sometimes just go, man, just get everything you can. Get a good quarterback in the deal, maybe. Somebody that's, you know, a bona fide NFL starter. And then you get all these draft picks and you start, you kind of start the team over. There's something inside of me that says, you know, the Texans really need to start over. And one way to do it is acquire a bunch of draft picks, get a solid quarterback out there, draft one, whatever, and see if you can get this thing turned around, which you can. And I'll real quick, real example, Miami Dolphins in two years, they went from whatever they were the first year, they won't win a game because they're tanking for Tua. Then they win, what, five? And here they are in the second year, and I look at them now, they're loaded. Nothing but a bunch of good young players. And everybody they went out and signed as free agents, they've all worked out. It's, it's a great job by the organization. So you can turn these teams around, I think, a little quicker, but of course you got to make all the right decisions. I just love Fitzpatrick. I, I just love the way he, his approach, his story, you know, Tua, go ahead, knock yourself out, run around. Okay. We're in trouble. Give me the damn ball. Let's go. And I don't know if the beard adds to the legend or what it is, but uh, what he did last year, I thought was just absolutely phenomenal. Well, the beard does add to it, you know, <laughs> doing the gum, got the beard and, you know, and especially nothing to lose, Doug. I mean, he's coming in trying to win a game. So when you try to come in and win, and he lets it go. He lets it go. You know, and, and I watched the games he has come in, and both of them really close. They ran the same place. But his what he sees is different from what Tua sees. The guy is kind of tight. It's a tight window. Well, Fitzpatrick says, hell, that's wide open to me today, baby. I'm letting it go. And he was making big throws down the field. And it energized the football team. And Tua is not at that stage where he sees it that way and and really just hasn't learned to play NFL football the way, of course, Fitzpatrick has. And he, he came in two games, and wow, he was terrific in both. And he would have played that last game against Buffalo when it had been interesting to see if they could have hung in there because Tua really struggled up in Buffalo, got overwhelmed. Fitzpatrick, well, I think, was tested positive for COVID, I think, and he couldn't come in. But um he did a great job. He is an awesome backup. 
And, you know, he's the fireman, man. He comes in and tries to put out the flames. And every once in a while, he's going to come in and he's going to throw gasoline on that fire, too. So it's going to go either way. He may throw five interceptions in a quarter or he's going to throw four touchdowns because he believes in what he's seeing and he's turning it loose, like you said. That's a difference in the NFL is what is open and what isn't. You know, body language is open. If he's on your inside hip, you're open. If he's on your outside leverage and you're breaking, you're open. And a lot of these young kids, you know, can't pull a trigger in that situation. Two-minute offense or games on the line. I was a big guy that I liked the plays I liked. I liked this. I hung my hat on these five to ten plays, run them to death. And I, I think that's what you get with a guy like Fitzpatrick when it, when it comes that time. Well, you know, Doug, I think anytime, you know, we draw up these game plans, even I play, they do it now. And, you know, like I said, I watch so much NFL football, I see it. When, it's, when it comes down to this is a drive to win the game. Now, there could be something in there, uh, I don't want to say a trick play, but a, a de- very deceptive play to get you going. And you know in a two-minute drive, just get us going. What Just one play, get that first down. But then you're always going to go back to the meat and potatoes of what the whole offense is based on. And whatever that is for you, for us it was, you know, finding ways to throw seam routes. That's it, man. Formations, a little movement and give them something different and ram a seam route in there. You know, and what happens, why we did it so much, because we, that's what we did every single week. And the guys covered, throw it behind him. If the guy's trailing, throw it right over the defender's head, whatever. Everybody instinctively knew what to do, but that was probably without question that and Outside routes, in other words, sideline routes, because you know it, even when you played, I played nowadays, you know, quarterbacks, the offense, even coordinators, yeah, we throw the sideline, oh, it's a little dangerous. Well, not if that's what you do. You know, you start in training camp and you make it who you are. My kids, one day I came home, both of my boys were in the other room. I hear them laugh. I go, I go in there and I go, what's going to go? And they were watching one of my games. They're laughing. I go, what? What's so funny? He goes, every ball is 20 yards down the field. You and Doug Williams, it's ridiculous. It's hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, I just said, oh, God, is it that bad? He goes, that's ridiculous. You know, I just, so, you know, if you go three for 10 for 100 yards, you know, it's, I think Doug Williams, the game they were watching was 1988 Monday Night Football. I think Doug Williams went like 14 of 37 or something, but up for over 300 yards. And, he, and of course, he had an arm that was unbelievable. Every ball he threw was 20 to 30 yards down the field easily. So just a different era. And the good thing, not, not to change subs, real quick. Now you can come in the league, and you know it, there are at least 10 to 15 automatic completions in every game for every quarterback automatic we're going to throw a screen throw a wide receiver screen oh let's let him come across in the jet motion and and hand it off to him right in front of another completion you know things like that so the completions are a little easier but it still comes down to making those special throws uh to win games i watched a lot of patriots this year and you know cam couldn't put the ball down the field and they they'd have these drives where they ran the ball really well do the quarterback runs he'd throw a wide receiver screen and it, it looked efficient but you're you're maybe kicking a field goal or stalling out. You have you got to put 15 plays together. You got to make that chunk play. You got to be able to put back them off because by the end of the second quarter, the other team knows he can't throw the ball up the field and it just stops. 
and the brakes go on. And you've got to make be able to make those chunk plays. And I think with the rules today, it's a lot more convenient to take some shots at it because you're going to get the interference call. You're going to get guys with their back turned. Something you brought up, receivers and being open, and there's somewhere to put the ball. I always got back to that was the back shoulder throw. It, don't make rocket. It's not rocket science. Just put the ball in a spot where your guy's going to be able to make a play. And it's like feeding the post in basketball. You know, you can put it low, you can put it up high, you can bounce past it, you can, you know, whatever you have to do. And you just kind of put the ball in a spot where your guy has a shot. And I was laughing because I, 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 I can't give it up. I'm an old man. <laughs> I'm playing a flag football game at Super Bowl. And Andre Reed was there. And Andre didn't really want to play. You know, Andre's just there to wave his hand around. Go, Andre, get your Get out here. You're, you're run. So he can't really, he doesn't want to run. He can't run. We are playing on sand. And he would just be out there and kind of start trotting. And he would just kind of waddle up the field five to 10 yards. Look at me. I throw it at him and put it in a spot and he'd break away. You know, one quick step, break away. And I put, it was so much fun for me because I'm used to playing that game with uh, you know some corporate guys, some mixed in guys that are just, everybody wants to go long and everybody wants to do this. And I would just make eye contact with him. And it's like the option route in the middle of the field. You know, he'd pivot off or he'd push off and go that way. And now he'd catch it and fall down right there for a seven-yard game because he's not going to run anywhere. But it was really fun for me because there was this little tick of real football. It's it's just him knowing, look, I'm not going to run by. I'm not going to make a move. I, you want to throw it to me, go ahead and throw it. I'll leave you this outside shoulder open. Okay, turn, boom. Well, you know what that is? That's what they all talk about. You know, once you do this enough and get the so-called chemistry with your receiver, we all think alike. We know they feel the defender. They know where the ball's coming in front, high, uh, low and behind, or a rocket behind, whatever. And, uh, look, I throw with tons of high school and college quarterbacks all offseason. And back shoulders, you know, we just go, okay, we're going to throw seams. Okay, now throw back shoulder seams. You know, and, and you know the kids. Honestly, you you think they were pro football players the way they do it with such once because they, they do it so much and whatever. So, and back shoulders. We had small receivers with the Giants. I'm tell I'm not gonna say we started the back shoulders, but we threw more back shoulder seams and outside routes than anybody in the league by far. Not even close. And because it started this way, well, it started a lot of ways. But we got Mark Bavar and Zeke Mowat, two tight ends. We play a game. We're watching the film. And Mark Bavar ran a seam. I didn't throw it. It was against Pittsburgh. And it was a preseason game. And, I, you know, he was, he was covered. So I threw it to somebody else. And Parcells goes, Sims, why didn't you throw it to Bavaro? I said, Bill, he's covered. He goes, look, when he's covered, he's open. And I went. <laughs> and the sad thing is, I understood right away. I said, okay, I got gotcha. you. And that's where it started. I can't remember hardly a game in my career where I didn't throw a back shoulder to a receiver at least once or multiple times to the tight ends. Because we really used our tight ends and running backs to run a lot of seams. And by and large, I would say half of them easily were always back shoulders or right over the top of the defender, throw it as hard as you can before the defender can turn and make a reaction to it. Before he can get his head around. Thank you. It's when you get the ball to the receiver that matters too. Yeah, well, no question. No question. And, and all that comes with, we've already answered this. You and I, we talked about what do you go to in big situations? Well, you go to your meat and potato plays, the one that you run the most and you just have the most confidence in and you feel good about it. And the variables are a lot because the variables are just what you and the, the receiver see 
and automatically know where the ball is going to go because of how they're covered. Man, I'm getting to the age now. It's hard to remember all these things, but uh, I, I remember that for sure. So, <laughs> so many times I think they just, there's so many numbers out there today, like on every, in the pocket, out of the pocket, versus blitz, versus just go play football. My head blows up. I do believe quarterbacks, and of course I know too, when they're playing games and they're playing the numbers and they're very cognizant of what they've completed, what's incomplete, this and that. It's a very careful game, very calculated most of the way for quarterbacks now because, you know, you could, you know, throw for 320 yards, you win the game, five touchdowns and one interception, and the announcer, the highlights, well, but he did throw an interception. Oh, well, let's never take a chance. Let's play it really safe. But so that that's that's just one thing that I really I do notice it's it's just so careful and so orchestrated and rightly so. And the other thing is too, which I really wish I would have done, and only did it my last year in the NFL, fifteen years, my last year, is that you know what? I gave up on plays quicker and said, you know, I'll wait for the next down instead of trying to hang in there and make the throw and throw it sometimes and make it, but pay for it with a really big hit. And these guys are taught now, don't take the hit, get rid of the ball. And that means throwing it away or get rid of it, dump it, whatever. And I don't blame them because these guys coming at them now, man, if they hit you enough, you're, you're not going to win that battle. So th- that, that I do like, I see it all the time and go, I, I do it almost every week. Ah, I should have done that. <laughs> and, uh, hey, we're all geniuses after the fact, Doug. <laughs> I want to know this. Are you pitching in baseball when you go to these leagues? I got an over, whatever, 40 tournament this weekend over in Fort Myers. We play probably six games in four days, and I'm going to pitch two of them. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And what, what I got to hear it. What, what are the two pitches you're going to throw? Fastball, of course. What's the other one? Uh, my, my fastball, which is about 72 to 74. Two seamer tailing down and in. That's my that's my regular, and then a a, a good hard curveball off of it, and then a uh, knuckleball to the guys that can really hit. Oh, you are my hero! Oh my god! If there are former minor leaguers, which every team has a couple of guys that can just you know take throw them knuckleballs, throw them slop. I'll throw a I'll throw a forty five mile an hour curveball. I will throw it as slow as I can possibly throw it. Hopefully, they get themselves out. You know, I pitched in summer leagues in college, and I was a good pitcher, all that. And, you know, I was just rare back. It's coming right down the middle, my man. Here it comes. I'm throwing it right down the middle. But my out pitch, when, you know, the teams, like you say, I was a knuckleball thrower. I can't tell you, and I can still do it to this day. You know, my fingernails are right. My kids laugh. But, you know, my catcher, many times, many times, I struck out the guy swinging, and the catcher missed the ball, and they'd be on first base. I spent some time with Tim Wakefield a couple of years ago. We did a knuckleball show, and he, he like, refined it for me. That is great. So it was awesome. I love – I could do this all day. Thanks so much for joining me, Phil. Doug, anytime. Thank you so much. Have a good day. I'm going to wrap it up with one other story that, that we were talking on the knuckleball there. Tim Wakefield with the Red Sox – had, I mean, the ball's bouncing all over the place. And they finally got rid of uh, Doug Marabelli, his personal catcher for the knuckleball. And no one could catch him. And they had so many 
lost bases, guys moving around the bases because the ball getting away from the catcher, strikeouts, back to the backstop, blah, blah, blah. And Veritek was the starting catcher at the time. Finally, Wake's going to start, and they uh, walk up to Wake about an hour before the game and say, hey, not sure if he's going to get – he's on a plane right now, but your catcher's coming back. He'll be here. Uh, hopefully, he gets here in time. Doug Marabelli lands at the airport, gets dressed in the cab, or whoever picked – I think it was a cab, actually, and drove him right in the stadium with a uh, police escort. Got there five minutes, didn't even get to the uh, bullpen in time to warm him up. He got he was dressed, ready to go for the first inning, went out. And then Doug, after the first inning, remembered he forgot to put his cup in and started catching with a cup in the second inning. But uh, that shows you that knuckleball bouncing around and, and the job that Wake did all those years. And it was so much fun. Hello, everyone. This is Bruce Murray. And I'd love you to join me on my podcast, Going Long, where every week we talk to the sports stars themselves, like NFL Hall of Famer Brett Favre. I was probably better at baseball than I was football. And the people that love them, like TV legend George Wendt. I thought about changing to be a Cup fan as a career move. And sports casting icon Linda Cohen. I never thought I'd still be doing it at this point in time. You can listen to Going Long every Thursday on the SiriusXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. Very interesting month coming up ahead of, of rotation of quarterbacks. I don't think we've ever seen this much movement in the NFL of starting quarterbacks, guys that think they are a starter, may wind up being in a backup position, but uh, not just the uh, second-tier guys. There's a lot of top-level guys. So this is going to be a fun little month to keep a close eye on. Uh, let's get to some Twitter questions. Uh, for me, obviously, this is an easy one, but this is one that uh, is very popular. And what is the di major differences between the CFL and NFL? And I'll tell you what, the difference is the gap is narrowing. Uh, the CFL has always been a wide open, widespread, air it out game because of the field being wider, much wider, 65 yards wide as opposed to 53. So an extra 12 yards wide and 12 on 12 football. It's really wide open and you've got to sling it around. You can't get away with hitting check downs all day. You got to put the ball down the field and make some big plays to, to finish off drives. But the NFL has stolen a lot of ideas from the CFL as far as the types of offenses, the athletic quarterback play, the RPO game, all that kind of stuff that uh, is really filtered to the NFL. And when you watch teams, especially in a two minute scenario, um, NFL football is starting to look a little more like CFL football. Although I will say this, I'll say this about the CFL, a lot of talent, a lot of athletic guys, but usually smaller guys, undersized for a position, a guy that didn't get a chance because he's not quite strong enough to be a down tackle, maybe an outside linebacker position or something like that. A lot of the, but the pure athleticism and the ability to play the game is still there. Do I think that being in a band or playing music brought any on-field benefits to my career? Absolutely not. Had nothing to do with it. The best thing it did for me for on the field was when I get ticked off and frustrated and go home at night and beat the hell out of the drums for about an hour and a half and release some energy. But um, what it did do, though, is uh, allowed me to uh, – I've gone back to Super Bowl every year, and the band plays a bunch of events at Super Bowl and be around it. And I've had an opportunity to we've, – we've opened and played with a bunch of big-name acts and just introduced me to a lot of people that I never would have had the opportunity to meet. Do I think the Patriots would take Mac Jones in the draft, and will he be available with the 15th pick? Or can they move up? Should they try and trade for a veteran like Matt Ryan? First of all, if Matt Ryan were ever available, I'd scoop him up in a hurry. Uh, Matt Ryan, I'm biased because I'm a BC guy, but I absolutely love Matt. And if the Patriots had any chance to get that caliber of quarterback, they would go for it. Uh, however, their, their cap space, the things they're dealing with, uh, last year their starting quarterback made $1 million. 
where the average guy right now is anywhere from 25 to 45. So it's, uh, it's a different situation in New England right now. Yes, I think it's time for them to draft a quarterback and develop a guy from the, from the get-go. I think even if they did that, that Bill Belichick still would like a veteran guy to come in and be his starter and bring a young guy along. And we saw that when he drafted Garoppolo, that, that he wasn't going to start him right away anyway. And you develop a guy. The problem is that Tom was around so long that the guy they drafted Garoppolo moved on and, you know, Tom's still playing today. So uh, it, it's, it's complicated, but I think it is time to draft a quarterback in New England. Well, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Flutie Flakes cast. Thanks for joining me and listening in. And remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on the Sirius XM app or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you rate and review. I'm Doug Flutie. Thanks for listening. Sirius XM Podcasts.